Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. To the NFL Minds Podcast, I am your humble host, Brooks Austin, and as always, we're coming to you live from the always beautiful Atlanta, Georgia, and ladies and gentlemen, we've got a great show for you planned tonight. On today's show, we will finish up our draft divisional grades for the AFC really quickly. We went into depth with the NFC South, the NFC West, and the AFC North, and I appreciate those guys that joined us on those episodes uh, for those full deep dives on those divisions. But we need to hit the rest of these divisions really, really quickly uh, tonight and Thursday night. So we'll wrap up the AFC, and then we'll get to the rest of the NFC nor- uh, NFC divisions uh, there Thursday night. That episode will be available Friday morning. If you want to check out the full divisional breakdowns uh, that we did earlier in the month, uh, we did the NFC South with Scott Karasik. Um, we did the AFC, or excuse me, the NFC West with Matt Barr, and then we did the AFC North with Joey Bags. Uh, there from Pittsburgh. So if you want to check those episodes out, they are still available in the podcast channel. Uh, just, you know, go back and scroll down. But uh, as for tonight, we will finish up, like I said, the AFC division, divisions that we haven't hit on. So that'll be the AFC West, the AFC East, and of course, the AFC South. Then at the end of the show, we will unveil uh, my way too early top five quarterbacks of the 2020 draft class. So we've got a jam-packed show, uh, as always, for you guys tonight. It's more packed than your wife's luggage on a 14-day vacation. But uh, before we get into all of that, because, again, we do have a lot to hit on tonight, however and wherever you found this podcast, please like, rate, subscribe, and review. That's how your boy gets paid. And while you're in a supportive mood, go ahead and check out all the folks out over there at the NFLMocks.com website, man. Uh, some of the best writing you will see uh, in terms of draft coverage. So we appreciate you guys for listening, and we appreciate you guys for running over there to NFLMocks.com real quick and uh, just clicking some links, man, clicking some articles, uh, you know, gather some information on some of these guys coming up in the 2020 draft class as well as our final comments with the 2019 draft class. So let's hit these divisional grades, uh, and here's how this will work. We will just run through each team one by one. I'll hit on a pick I like. Uh, or love. I'll hit on a pick I hate, and of course, I'll give you my overall draft grade uh, for that team. So we will start with the AFC West, um, and at this point, if you've been listening to the NFL Mox podcast, you know how we break this down. We'll typically start with the divisional winner and work our way down the standings from there. So that means we're going to start in the AFC West with the Kansas City Chiefs, and they didn't have a whole lot of work here in this 2019 NFL draft left to do after the Frank Clark trade. Obviously, they give up uh, their 2019 first-round pick there uh, at pick number 29 and also give up a future first. 
Um, so let's kind of just look at these picks overall. Um, and instead of going through them, I'll kind of just give you my favorite pick. And I might mention a couple here and there with these favorite picks. I might give you a, a selection of a couple, unless they just have one that, and only one that I like, which some of these teams may have. No spoiler alerts. All right, my favorite pick for the Kansas City Chiefs in this 2019 draft has to be either Nicole Hartman. Now, that's an easy one, right? You have the potential replacement for the Tyreek Hill uh, issue there going on, uh, assuming he never plays another down in Arrowhead, which is likely, uh, also likely that he could be available week one. You never really know with the NFL uh, in terms of these suspensions, especially uh, when, you know, things in, in terms of the courts, uh, you know, pretty much kept their hands off of it there with that situation. But nonetheless, this is not the time to be talking about that. Um, I also really like the Kalen Saunders pick or Colin Saunders pick there at 84. That kid reminds me a lot of Don Terry Poe, uh, you know, a four-year starter uh, there in a small school, D1AA school coming out of Western Illinois, I believe. But nonetheless, uh, Colin Saunders, a dominant football player there in his respective ranks. Again, four-year starter out of Western Illinois. And I I think he does. He reminds me a lot of Don Terry Poe, an extremely athletic 330-pound human being right there. So one of those two picks for the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm all over. I love the Nicole Hardman pick again. Easy replacement there for Tyreek Hill. Um, you know, maybe not the short area quickness uh, from Hardman as, as Hill has, but the top end speed, the track speed is absolutely 100% there. So I like that pick a lot. And again, I love the Colin Saunders pick. I think he, uh, you know, is going to fit in right there uh, at the shade technique. Uh, in Kansas City and match with Chandler Jones there, man. Chandler Jones, a big-bodied guy, right? Tall, long, lanky there at the three technique, one of the bigger and taller three techniques in all the league. You, sh- you, you pair him up with a short, stocky guy uh, in Colin Saunders, and I think you've got a good one-two punch there uh, for, you know, a couple years to come there in Kansas City. My worst pick, uh, you know, I don't really have one here. I don't think they reached on a ton in this draft. I think they, you know, got some good value you know, only had three picks there in the top three rounds, and then they had three late picks in round six. They had two picks, and in round seven there. So not a lot to be done. Again, like we talked about, you trade Frank Clark, and that kind of happens. But I will say this, the five-year, $105.5 million contract extension that they gave Frank Clark, along with trading a first-round pick in this year's draft with that future uh, second um, that's just entirely too much for me and my blood in this draft. For that reason, I will give them a B minus. Again, it's just because I'm not incredibly fond of the Frank Clark trade and the deal that inevitably shook out after the trade. So B minus for the Kansas City Chiefs. But nonetheless, man, you've got a transcendent talent there uh, at the quarterback position in Pat Mahomes. And the offensive weapons are, you know, more than abundant there. Uh, even without Tyreek Hill, I still think you've got one of the most explosive offenses in all of football with the combination of Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey, and, of course, Pat Mahomes. All right, let's move on to uh, the other team that went 12-4 and in the AFC West last year. That is the Los Angeles Chargers, and I made sure I capitalized Los Angeles Chargers in this one. That way I made sure I did not say San Diego. Let's get into this best pick. I am on record here on the NFL Mox podcast saying they absolutely had to get a big person in round one there at pick 28, and I commend them for doing so. But to turn around and get Nasir Adderley, uh, too, in this draft, you know what they say, it is 
you know, better to be lucky rather than good. And I think they did get extremely lucky here to not only take Jerry Tillery off the board, you know, maybe a slight reach here at pick 28, but, you know, all the defensive tackles were off the board. Dexter Lawrence, uh, nor the other gentleman, um, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, the other gentleman from Clemson, you know, both were gone. They're interior defensive linemen. So, Jerry Tillery, probably the best available. I'm okay with you picking him there uh, at pick number 28, especially when Nasir Adderley somehow falls to pick 60. And you get, you know, two guys there that can impact your defense, uh, you know, right off the start there uh, in Los Angeles. So, and I'm, I'm here for the Nasir Adderley pick. I think that's the best pick available, or, you know, best pick here in their draft considering that, you know, he was definitely a viable option there at pick 28 in the first round. I think if they take him there, it's no shock considering how much they love and utilize defensive backs there in Los Angeles. The worst pick, even though I love the name, man, Easton Stick there in round five doesn't make a ton of sense to me, and here's why. You have Tyrod Taylor on roster. You have Cardale Jones on the roster. So you've already checked the young project box with Cardell Jones, and you've already checked the steady backup box with Tyrod Taylor there uh, to back up Phil Rivers. So it doesn't make a lot of sense uh, to me uh, to draft Easton Stick here, but nonetheless, I'm okay with pretty much everything else they did. Uh, I'll give them a grade of a B here. I love the top two picks. And again, outside of that, we will kind of see uh, what, happen- what happens there. Trey Pipkins, the offensive tackle there in round three. They definitely needed some help there uh, to protect Phillip Rivers a little bit more, add some depth across that offensive line, and I think they did so. Took a couple linebackers late, um, and we'll see how those guys kind of pan out. But nonetheless, I'll give them a B here for the Los Angeles Chargers. Let's stick in the AFC West and move on to the Denver Broncos. And look, I think this team did a ton of good stuff in this draft. To start, how about let's go all of their first four picks as their best picks, man. They trade down from 10 to ultimately still get Noah Fant at 20, which, again, kind of like we were talking about with the Chargers, man. It's no, it wouldn't have been a shock if Nasir Adderley comes off the board at 28. And though it might have been a tad bit of a reach, we, I mean, Noah Fant at pick 10, nothing crazy there. But with Devin Bush still on the board, they allow Pittsburgh to move up and they get an absolute haul right there to trade down just 10 spots and still get their starting tight end and future at the position in no offense. So I love what they did there. Um, and then, you know, they follow it up in day two with back-to-back picks and Dalton Reiser and Drew Locke. And we had Sarah Bettinger on, uh, and he's already recapped this for us. Denver, excuse me, the Denver Bronco fans should be extremely happy uh, with what went down here. Drew Locke, again, a guy we definitely could have seen uh, go right there at pick 10 to the Denver Broncos, and he's still available there at pick 42 in the second round. Uh, you know, and you relieve some pressure off the young man drafting him in the second round. He's not automatically thrown in uh, to st- a starting role there, even with Joe Flacco on the roster. I think if he's a first-round pick and Joe Flacco has, you know, an average to below average preseason, I think Denver fans probably start calling uh, for Drew Locke's name right there, uh, you know, whenever things go awry with Joe Flacco, which they're bound to do. And then, again, you follow it up, round three with Draymond Jones out of Ohio State. I love that pick as well. I think he's going to fit in really well there in Denver. Uh, as for a worst pick, if I love their first four picks, there's not much negative to say, obviously. So I'm not going to take a shot 
at a round five or a round six guy like Justin Hollins, their edge, or Jawan Renfrey, the wide receiver there at pick 187. Because quite honestly, if the guys just simply make the roster there in the fifth or sixth round and happen to make an impact either on, you know, offense or defense or, you know, especially special teams, if they do end up making an impact, it's just a bonus, guys. That is the reality of that. But again, you go four for four on your first four picks uh, with Noah Fant, Dalton Reiser, Drew Locke, and Draymond Jones. I think I cannot give you anything less, Denver Bronco fans, then an A+. plus Again, go four for four. Gold stars for everyone in Denver. Love what they did here in this draft. Let's move on to the Oakland Raiders. And we're going to do something special here for one of our biggest supporters of the NFL Mocks podcast, my boy Andy Turner. Uh, he supports the pod all the way from the UK. He's a diehard Raiders fan, and he's a diehard Mox fan. So let's see what he's got for us. Uh, hit me with it, Andy. Hi Brooks, um, it's Andy from the UK. As you know, I'm a massive fan of the pod, massive fan of what you're doing. Uh, love your enthusiasm, love your knowledge, and um, so really wanted to ask a question. Really, what you thought of the Raiders draft? I thought they did really well. I thought made a couple of reaches in the first round slightly, but I was really high the Clayton Farrell pick. Uh, I think I texted you that. I, I really did. I think they could have taken him a bit lower, but I think they've got a the four three defensive end that they wanted. You can play all three downs, hand in the dirt, and he's a leader. Uh, that's pretty much the theme for all the way with their draft their leaders their scheme fits that's what they won I think they killed day three they got some really good picked up some really good players they picked up some really good undrafted free agents as well Cody from Notre Dame Maisie wasn't wasn't taken the linebacker also Keelan Doss um, even the guard from Alabama Cotton I think he could maybe make the roster so I just wondered what your views were on the Raiders draft mate I'm looking forward to your draft grade and keep up the good work thank you bye all right, thank you, Andy, for submitting that. Um, overall, let's get right into it. You know, he asked a lot of questions there, but let's get into it. Overall, thoughts of the Raiders draft? Look, as Andy said, it's easy to jump and say, you know, Cleveland Farrell at four, as most of us did. You know, it's kind of an overdraft there. But they leave day one with three solid starters in the NFL, in my mind, in Cleveland Farrell in Josh Jacobs and in John Abrams in that order, right? You came into the draft with four, 24, and 27, and they stick at those three picks, bring in, like I say, three automatic, in my mind, starters in the NFL in those three guys. So, you know, hard to say that they did anything wrong with those day one picks despite the reach there or what you think is a reach in Cleveland Farrell. I, I also think Andy hit on a great point as well about picking winners, or as he called them, I think leaders. Look, Mayock made his strategy for this draft very simple and very clear. You know, he wanted winners. Uh, he wanted guys that absolutely love football, not just guys that had, you know, not just talented individuals. These are guys that, you know, are going to, as they say, bring their lunch pail to work every day, guys that are really going to put it in, and that's what it takes to be successful. Because, again, like we talk about, first-round grade guys are always going to be talented. It's just about finding that next gear in the NFL. And I think these three guys, again, in Farrell, Josh Jacobs, and uh, John Abrams, all very good up top from the neck up. So uh, great job there. And I'll, let's call it good job for Mike Mack. Let's see how it turns out, especially with Farrell. If one of those defensive ends uh, that was drafted after him, you know, becomes some kind of Hall of Fame player, uh, it's going to kind of look a little bit bad there. But, again, he had his game plan. He stuck to it. I like that a lot. And, again, this is a culture-setting draft all the way down even to the fifth-round pick in Hunter Renfro. That 37-year-old rookie will be great in that locker room. I, I really like it. But as for my best pick for the Oakland Raiders, uh, and, again, Andy, I really appreciate you for sending that in. Uh, as for my best pick, I love the Foster Moreau pick. 
and the Trayvon Mullen pick. I think Trayvon Mullen's an absolute dog. Uh, you know, the cornerback there out of Clemson, extremely long as well. The worst pick, look, again, it's hard to find actual value at the number four pick overall, but I just think there were players available that had a chance to impact your defense at a higher rate right now than Cleveland Farrell will this coming up year. But again, Though, as Andy has said uh, in that video he sent to us via Twitter, he is the definition of a 4-3 edge, is Cleveland Farrell. So I like it for that reason. I think you don't have to have any questions about whether or not he can set the edge in the run game, nor will you ever have any questions about effort levels. Um, But again, I don't think this is a guy who's ever going to turn in 16 or 17 sacks. But again, his game is going to be all around solid uh, and enjoyable to watch for, you know, the foreseeable future. And I'm big on the culture, guys. I'm big on, you know, set, having a plan, going in, attacking it, and setting it forth uh, and getting your culture corrected there in Oakland because it has been a while since you all seen sustained success, success um, not just, you know, a hit-or-miss season with Derek Carr breaking his fib there. Uh, a couple years back. But nonetheless, let's get into this grade. I'll give him a B plus. Again, I really enjoy when a general manager is at least consistent and sticks to his plan, even if, uh, you know, it's the complete wrong one in terms of plan. I'm not looking at you, Dave Gettleman, but I am looking at you, Dave Gettleman. But in this case, I think Mayock and Gruden stuck to their plan and, and got some good, like we said, winners and some good leaders and some overall good football players. And, and by the way, guys, Those of you listening, if you want to shoot me a video like Andy did uh, with questions on your team or, you know, just questions in general, hit me up on Twitter at Brooks underscore Austin FS. I got them 7-Eleven DMs. They stay open, my boys. Um, So nonetheless, you guys can feel free to get in there, hit me up with those questions. We will get them answered. Or, you know, if you send me a video like Andy did, we can get your beautiful voice. If you got one of them Britain, British voices, we can get you here on the pod. Uh, but let's move on to the AFC East. We will start, of course, with the defending divisional champs for what? It seems like the 14th straight year in a row outside of that Chad Pennington and Wildcat season down there in Miami. Nonetheless, the New England Patriots obviously won the division last year. And let's take a look at their draft. Um, as far as best picks, man, let's just call it all of them. I mean, we've all said it. And we've all asked the same question, how in the hell do they continue to get this lucky or at least what we deem and, and, you know, determine as lucky? I mean, seriously, their three third-round picks, just their three third-round picks in Chase Winovich, Damian Harris, and Rodney Kajust alone would get a really, really high grade from me. I'd say, you know, right around a a C-plus for me just on those three picks. That's the only three picks you left uh, from this draft. I think you came away with a haul right there uh, in three guys that will probably make an impact on your roster day one they step into camp. As far as worst pick, uh, I'll just call it Nikhil Harry, and it has absolutely nothing to do with him as a player and everything to do with the fact that I'm still bitter they didn't take A.J. Brown right here at this pick because, man, I would have watched every single down of New England Patriots football just to watch A.J. Brown fit into that Austin, excuse me, Josh McDaniels offense there. Um, But nonetheless, Harry will probably end up being the next Randy Moss since I keep harping on that pick. Um, As for a grade, let's give him a B plus. If I'm going to knock all the, you know, let's draft a punter teams, and of course I put that in quotations, I have to rag on the Pats too, right? It's only fair. Round five uh, for a punter, man. I'm just over here shaking my head watching that happen, even when the great Bill Belichick does it. Uh, Yep, 
but we'll move on. B-plus for the New England Patriots. Let's get into the Miami Dolphins, who seemingly always come into second place in this division. I know Buffalo and them kind of fight back and forth for it, and as of late, the New York Jets have kind of been hanging down in the rear uh, down there. But, again, the New England the uh, New York Jets did have that Mark Sanchez year where they beat the New England Patriots to go on to the AFC Championship game. But, you know, who cares? It's not that day anymore. We got Adam Gase over there. But let's get back to these Miami Dolphins. Uh, you know, only had six picks in this draft, so and two of those came in the seventh round. So not a lot of value here uh, just in terms of draft slot positions. Let's go to their best pick. This one's really easy for me, probably because I don't actually love their legitimate draft picks here, but mainly because I love the guy they traded for. I hope Josh Rosen wins a damn MVP next year. Uh, you know, this guy got dirt thrown on his name for the past six months for no, uh, seemingly no reason, uh, and he gets a fresh start here now in Miami, and all for the 67th, or 62nd excuse me, overall pick. I think that's great value there in that trade, and I think it's hard to, you know, even without seeing what Josh Rosen is going to do on the field right now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the Miami Dolphins won that, dra- or won that trade right there straight up. The Cardinals end up taking Andy Isabella with that pick. He's, you know, Josh Rosen has, has legitimate potential to be a franchise caliber quarterback. And I know, uh, you know, Kyler Murray is their guy out there in Arizona now, and they ended up taking him there at one, and that's great. Go get your guy. All that kind of theory is nice and sound, especially at the quarterback position. But, again, Josh Rosen, to me, a guy who, you know, if he were to just come out in this draft class, there's no way he lasts all the way to pick 62. Absolutely not uh, if he would have just taken a ghost year. Uh, there out of UCLA and came into this draft class, the 2019 quarterback class, instead of the 2018 quarterback class that we know was loaded, uh, there's no way he makes it to pick 62. In fact, I don't even think there's a way he makes it out of, you know, maybe even behind Dwayne Haskins there at 15. He probably goes before that. Uh, In fact, I would venture to say Miami might take him there at 13 if he was available in this draft purely as, you know, straight from college. No one got to see that ghost or that year there in Arizona, that garbage year, we'll call it, there in Arizona. If that were the case, I truly believe he's a top 10, top 15 pick in this year's draft class, um, as he was in last year's draft class. So I don't think the value there slipping basically 52 spots, right? He was a 10th pick last year, 62nd, traded for the 62nd overall pick this year. Did Josh Rosen's year there in Arizona with a horrendous offensive line and a horrendous roster and overall horrendous situation, did it really drop his value? 52 slots? Absolutely not. Um, And for that reason, I'll give the Miami Dolphins a C+. Dexter Lawrence is a starter in the NFL. And again, the chosen Rosen, uh, you know, I love him, right? But that's really it in this draft. I don't think you get very many impactful players there. Um, As far as worst pick, I know I didn't give you that. I gave you my grade first, but that's my fault for reading my notes too fast. Worst pick, Miami. Look, I can't decide between the Wisconsin guys. I'm on record here on the NFL Mox podcast saying I'm completely out on all Wisconsin offensive linemen not named Joe Thomas. But I'm, I never even bothered to say I was out on Wisconsin linebackers. And to be honest with you, that's because I never even thought one would get drafted, especially in the fifth round like uh, Andrew Van Kinkle was. Uh, first of all, any guy with the last name Van Kinkle, probably not going to be a dominant linebacker. But again... You know what? We'll say it one more time. Andrew Van Kinkle. If Ginkle, Ginkle, Kinkle, spelt with a G, let the audience figure it out. I'm going to go Ginkle on my last attempt at the pronunciation. 
probably not going to be a dominant NFL football player. Uh, that's just my guess. Again, totally out on Wisconsin offensive linemen. Never even bothered to say I was out on Wisconsin linebackers because I never even thought it was going to happen. Never thought we were going to be here. But nonetheless, we're here. Let's move on to the Buffalo Bills. I gave you my grade for the Miami Dolphins. If you forgot already, it was a C+. I like the Dexter Lawrence pick. I don't love it. And I love the Josh Rosen trade. But outside of that, didn't really like much of what they did at all. So let's move on to these Buffalo Bills. Look, Ed Oliver there at pick nine, absolute beast. Can't believe that guy was available. You know, just let's call it 36 months ago, he was the number one player available on most guys' big boards. And somehow he is here available at pick nine, uh, and he just is going to light shit up in Buffalo. Cody Ford fits Buffalo to a T. Devin Singletary was my running back number one. And Dawson Knox has absolute huge upside. But if I had to pick one of these guys to say, you know, was the best pick in this draft from Buffalo, I got to go with my guy Devin, Devin Singletary, the running back out of Florida Atlantic. I loved every bit of that guy's tape. I know he didn't test well at the combine, but he brings youth to that experienced uh, running back room there in Buffalo, and a lot of shake, man. He looks just like Shady McCoy, uh, first tackler. You better bring help because uh, you're going to end up probably getting juked out of your shoes. Worst pick, I can't really find one, to be honest. Again, I love their first four picks like we talked about with Denver. If To me, if you hit on your first four picks, especially, let's, let's just call it you got rounds one, two, three, and four. Those four picks, and in this case, Buffalo had two third-round picks. Uh, one of them late there in the third round. But nonetheless, if you have four picks in those top four rounds, you better hit on them to win the draft. And I thought Buffalo and Denver did both of that. My grade for Buffalo, I'll give them just a flat A. Seriously, I don't think I've ever said this, ever. I don't think these words have ever come out of my mouth. But I'm pretty damn excited to watch Buffalo football next year. And that's probably, you know, very, very uh, exciting there in Buffalo. Just as a fan, man, I couldn't imagine you guys actually having a roster that you don't think, hey, maybe they'll surprise us this year and go 9-7 and seven and make the playoffs for the first time in 18 seasons like they did a couple years ago with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. Um, it doesn't really happen often like that where you enter the season and you're like, wow, we got better at every single position like Buffalo did uh, this offseason through free agency and now this draft that I think they absolutely hit and nailed out of the park. But let's move on to the divisional uh, losers, if you will, there in the AFC East. The New York Jets, who have some things to look up for, uh, look up towards. They got some hope there in the franchise with Sam Darnold there at the quarterback position and their new coach, the gase of the franchise, Adam Gase. But uh, let's look into these picks. As for best picks, man, you got to love the Quentin Williams pick, right? Especially when he's being interviewed. That guy's smile alone will light up a room. And the Ja'Kai Polite pick has tremendous value. And I'll repeat what I said on earlier shows. The off-the-field concerns in terms of attitude really never reared their head on the field, man. When you look at the tape, this dude played like his hair was on fire constantly. I mean, running down plays left and right. The pursuit was phenomenal there at Florida, which kind of made us question what the hell was going on there in the interview processes and all that at the combine. And then, you know, just the testing process was just horrendous as well uh, for Mr. Polite. So we'll kind of see what happens there, but I love the value. But in terms of best pick overall, I really love the Blake Cashman pick there at 157. Cash Daddy, the Lululemon is on the way. You guys know we love Blake Cashman and Don Reisner here on the NFL Mocks podcast. They will always hold a special uh, place in our heart, uh, seeing as they were the first NFL football players 
ever interviewed here on the NFL Mox Podcast. Shout out to those guys. But that's my best pick here, Blake Cashman. I think he's got a real shot uh, to play substantial downs there in New York. Maybe, uh, you know, spill or spell, excuse me, C.J. Mosley uh, and, and those guys there at the linebacker position. And at the very, very least, he dominates special teams as he did again there in Minnesota. Check out that interview with Blake Cashman if you haven't already. Uh, again, just scroll down your NFL mocks feed. Uh, as far as worst pick, man, I'm going to go with Trevon Wesco, the tight end out of West Virginia. And just because personally I like Foster Moreau a little bit better at that slot, especially when you've got a running back like Le'Veon Bell. You're going to be feeding that guy a lot. Why not take the best blocking tight end in the draft in Foster Moreau? That wraps up the AFC East for us. Let's get into the AFC South, starting with the division champs, the Houston Texans. All right, so, you know, my best pick will start right there. I love Charles Aminihue in the fifth round. I think that's flat out nuts. This is a guy who, you know, didn't test well, but last year at Texas had 18 tackles for loss, nine and a half sacks in just 14 games. I am absolutely down with this pick right here uh, in the fifth round with Charles Aminihue. And I also like the Lonnie Johnson pick there in round two, a six foot two corner out of Kentucky who is the heart and soul of that football team, at least defensively, he and Josh Allen. As far as the worst pick, the listeners of this podcast, again, you guys know my affinity for Dalton Reisner. You know how much I like that guy at the right tackle position, but maybe the Houston Texans didn't really see him at the, you know, as an NFL right tackle, but Titus Howard was a bit of a reach for me there at 23. I thought there were a handful of better tackles available on the board. I think, uh, you know, Titus Howard a real raw athlete, literally a raw athlete, this guy who was playing quarterback just four years ago in high school, uh, spent a couple you know, seasons transitioning from tight end, and then he got pretty big at tight end, and they were like, hey, why don't you keep eating some more and playing tackle, and that's what he ended up doing, and you know, kind of a, let's call it a project here at the right tackle position, and that's not something you do to me, in my eyes, with the 23rd overall pick, but again, maybe they saw something that we all didn't see, but just based off, you know, looking at the Houston Texans offense line the last couple seasons, I'm just going to go on and take a ventured guess or a guess here and say that they're not too great at evaluating the position. Uh, and I think they made another mishap here with the Titus Howard selection. Um, that was my worst pick. As for a grade, I'll give them a C plus. Again, I'll hit on it again. I think they reached a bit too much for Howard in the first round, but I do believe there's some hope with a guy like Lonnie Johnson again from. Kentucky and look if the the Titus Howard pick doesn't uh, you know work out you still took a round two shot on Max Sharping the big monster out of the small schools there in uh, you know about six seven 315 pounds long lanky guy a little soft though uh, in terms of the run game but the guy can pass protect that is for absolute damn sure so we'll see what kind of happens there uh, let's move on to the Indianapolis Colts first off man I'm sure the rest of the AFC South feels really great about Chris Ballard and company getting a shot at 10 draft picks here in the 2019 draft. Part of that has to do with trading out of the first round. But nonetheless, they maneuvered up and down the draft board uh, pretty much throughout the process and managed to get a lot of their guys that they had on their big board uh, originally. I know, uh, I think uh, 
the pick is up next or the pick is in or whatever the, the documentary series is for the Indianapolis Colts. If you're a draft whiz if you, and you obviously are if you listen to this podcast, if you enjoy that, go check out that kind of stuff. Go check out the Indianapolis Colts uh, page. I can't quite remember what the document, documentary is called, but they kind of follow Chris Ballard and his crew throughout the process all the way from the Senior Bowl through the Combine up into draft night. Uh, and you kind of get a, an estimate of what those guys are all about, what they're looking for in terms of, uh, you know, guys to fill out their roster. Um, but let's get back to this best pick. If I had to pick one that I love the most, I have to say it's Bobby Okereke, and that's probably because, um, you know, Pat, what's my boy Pat? Pat McAfee w- uh, came onto the stage and lit Nashville up there uh, with the Bobby Okereke pick at 89 but again, man, this is a guy that absolutely fits their mold for linebackers. Close to about six foot two, 34 and a half inch arms, and ran a four five eight. Excuse me, a four five eight. Chris Ballard likey. He fits that Darius Leonard mold. Now, is he going to be Darius Leonard? Probably not, because they just don't make rookie All Pros um, like Clinton Nelson and Darius Leonard. They just don't grow those guys on trees. So that's my best pick. I love the Bobby Okereke pick, and of course, everyone loves the Rocky Sin pick. Um, but we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. In terms of worst pick, I'm not huge on the Kari Wilson pick there at number 109. But outside of that, I think they did a really good job of both evaluating their per- their needs on their roster and taking good value at each selection. Again, outside of that Kari Wilson selection there at 109. In terms of a grade, I'll give them a B plus. Again, I love the Rocky Sin pick just like everyone else. And Paris Campbell will light it up early and often with luck there. We already talked about the Okariki pick. I think overall, again, they did a really good job, as to be expected from Chris Ballard, uh, the former New England Patriot protege there in Indianapolis now. He's hit on two really good drafts back-to-back. Uh, I highly doubt he'll have two rookie All-Pros again because it just doesn't happen there. I th- I, I, we've already said this stat before. If I didn't on this podcast, I definitely said it. Oh, let me say something. Um, you know, they haven't had two rookie All-Pros from the same football team uh, since Gail Sayre and Dick Buckus there in Chicago in, I believe, like 1958 or 1960s. Either way, it's a long damn time since something crazy like that has happened, uh, and, and that's what it is. Let's move on to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, best pick, boy, there ain't no surprise here. If you know me, you know I love me some A.J. Brown, so there's not a whole lot to say here. That's the best pick. It's easy. I know you're going to say some people, a lot of people are going to say Jeffrey Simmons. They got great value there at 19. He's kind of being a red shirt guy. He's going to show up week 10 or week 11, and people are going to be like, how in the hell did this guy last the 19? It's probably going to be one of those cases. But you know, again, I love A.J. Brown, and I'm not backing down on that A.J. Brown, okay? My worst pick, the Nate Davis, the guard out of North Carolina, uh, North Carolina Charlotte. He's a thick-ass dude, right, from the waist down. But I liked Connor McGovern a little bit more at that slot, and I know Rodney Kajuse could have kicked into guard there in Tennessee and fit well. Both of those players were still available on the board. But life goes on. And in terms of a grade, I'll give him a B. Again, Jeffrey Simmons will be a beast one day soon for the Titans. And the A.J. Brown pick was like the hidden bonus question on the test. Uh, so I like that one a lot. We'll move on to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who surprisingly finished last in the AFC South last year. I know the AFC South's kind of up for grabs every single year. Uh, you can win it you know, anywhere from 
you know, 11, 12 wins all the way down to 8 and 8 or 9 and 7. So that's kind of the shake of things every year in the AFC South. But for the Jacksonville Jaguars with that roster to finish fourth in this division was a bit surprising to me last year. But let's get into this draft and slap a great honor. Uh, best picks. Uh, so coming into this draft, they needed to address two primary concerns, in my opinion, the offensive tackle spot and the tight end position. They do both of those with Josh Oliver, the big play tight end, out of San Jose State. Didn't win a lot of football games there, but again, had about 800 yards receiving last year uh, and was their primary option and played under, played with three different quarterbacks last season. So not the greatest sense of continuity there, but nonetheless, he put up big stats there at San Jose State. And they get their right tackle in Jawan Taylor out of Florida. You know, my number one tackle in this draft class prior to learning about, you know, the injury concerns. But even if he gives you just five or six good seasons there at the right tackle position, I think they're going to be really good seasons. Oh, and somehow, somehow, some way, Josh Allen fell to them at seven. Uh, so for best pick, I think it's a combination of all three. And I think they got really, really lucky on all three of those picks. Now, there's the positive Jacksonville fans. Duval. Here's the negative. Worst pick, there's that Quincy Williams guy, a safety out of Murray State. Literally the only thing I know about Quincy is that he is the brother to Quinnen Williams from Alabama, you know, the new the New York Jet now. Um, that's it, man. That's all I know about him. He didn't receive a combine invite. He didn't receive a, a, a profile grade or a combine grade from uh, NFL.com. He didn't even receive a draft network profile or really, really any draft publica- publication. You can't find anything on Quincy Williams, nor would you have found anything on my big board for Quincy Williams. So kind of a, not even kind of, a straight up off the wall pick there. As for a grade, I'll give him a B plus. A lot of, you know, excuse me, a lot, if not all of their first three picks had a lot to do with luck like we hit on already. And they finally there at pick number 98 are, are stuck without a glaringly obvious choice to make. And they take an undraftable guy. And I don't mean to hate on Quincy Williams, but he was. He was a priority free agent and a complete undraftable guy. And you take him here in the third round uh, with pick 98. It's just a way overdraft uh, and something that literally dropped him, you know, a full letter grade. I think you go home and, and you're really, really happy. Raquel Armstead in the fifth round, the kid out of Temple? Come on, man. It's a great pick. Gardner Minshew, uh, quarterback out of Washington State, not a horrible pick. Mike Leach loves the guy coming from a wacky system. It'll take a little while to learn the pro style. Uh, But nonetheless, man, a decent pick there in round six. I mean, that's a backup quarterback if I've ever seen one. And, again, we love the Raquel Armstead. The the Quincy Williams thing just makes absolutely no sense. Uh, And, again, they got really, really lucky with their first three picks, and then they're finally forced to, you know, not make the obvious choice and they come off the board with this guy. And who knows, maybe he becomes an all-pro and we all look stupid, me especially. But I just I, I can't be on board with an undraftable guy who's on no one else's big board. Uh, you, you definitely could have had that guy, you know, waste a sixth or a seventh-round pick on that guy. Don't, don't sit there and take him in the third round. It just makes no sense. So that will wrap up all of our AFC divisional grades. Uh, you know, I hope, you know, you like what your team did. If you don't, man... Sorry to bash on them as much as I did. But, you know, we try to be fair with these things. I don't think anybody got less than a C except for those Cincinnati Bengals. We don't really know what the hell they're doing. But, again, you're going to have to check out previous episodes to see exactly what I gave them and why I gave them their grade. We teased it earlier in the show. Let's get into these top five quarterbacks 
of 2020, and it is entirely too early to be doing this. We haven't even seen their what will be, or hopefully for them, be their last seasons in college football yet. And, uh, you know, here we are in May, but we might as well give you this because you guys love this kind of content. So we'll give you my top five quarterbacks of 2020. Spent the last couple of days mulling over these guys one more time before I brought this to you and dropped the curtains on it. So we'll start with number one on the big board here at the quarterback position. It's Tua Tugavaloa. Uh, I went back and forth all day here with Justin Herbert and Tua, Tua and Justin Herbert, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But I went with Tua for a couple of reasons. First off, this dude's pocket awareness is NFL caliber right now. You could drop him in an NFL pocket, he'll look as comfortable as he does to this day right now in Alabama. Secondly, no college quarterback gets off his first read and finds his second better than Tua. This is something that will help him win, and I mean win at the next level, man. A lot of college systems are, you know, set up for quarterback success rates to be extremely, extremely high. What does that mean? It's a lot of first reads. If they're not there, throw it away or start to scramble, which we might talk a little bit about here soon with some of these guys. But Tua, man, you, you can literally see it on film. You can watch him go what we call read the tree or, read, you know, just read the field for simple for simple-minded folks. You know, he'll, he'll work his top read. He'll work down to his second, even sometimes to his third and fourth option. I love that about Tua. He's not ready to just bail out of the pocket despite having, you know, fairly above-average athleticism, at least at the college level. So my only worry is the size and the durability. The arm talent's there and the footwork and motion, you know, just in terms of his, you know, his release, his arm release is absolutely phenomenal along with his footwork. Uh, so if he can stay on the field this year, He's got a shot to go extremely early in next year's draft. So my number two quarterback on my big board, obviously, is Justin Herbert for the 2020 class. Man, you want to talk about someone who will make you say, damn, and I mean damn on film. Just some stuff. This, this kid's all gas, no brakes. He does stuff that just makes no sense, How you know, physically, how he makes balls, you know, fits balls into windows. Uh, from the moment the tape is turned on, it doesn't matter if it's a bubble screen or a deep vertical, my man flat out rips the football. Very, very tight spin, a lot of velo. Uh, you know, getting a little too nerdy here. But the accuracy has become a question after this past season, finishing up just under 60%. I think he was 59.4% uh, completion percentage last year. Not great uh, in terms of an NFL caliber uh, quarterback. But I'll tell you this, all the traits are there. We already talked about. Even the athleticism's there, man. At 6'6", 235 pounds, this kid can absolutely move. We'll see what he does this year in terms of getting those accuracy numbers back up. His sophomore year, man, he broke his collarbone there. I think week four against Cal, you know, ended up playing seven games total in that season. But his completion percentage was around 68% there. So we saw a pretty big drop off this past season. But again, a lot of that might have to do with the weapons surrounding him at Oregon. A lot of drops on the film, man, and just not getting a lot of help. Uh, his best receiver is this little five foot, maybe, I, I don't even know if he's five seven. Uh, he wears number 30, couldn't even tell you his name, but that literally was his go-to target. Uh, all the other guys were just unreliable as all get out. Uh, so, you know, that's after that, man, after one and two here in this class, and I'll really call him 1A and 1B as we sit right now because I'll probably flip-flop, you know, after this season just seeing what – just being able to see what they're going to put on tape this coming up year. Uh, it really gets interesting after these two to me. As of now, again, Herbert and Tua are my only first-round caliber quarterbacks as we sit today. Um, and after that, it really falls off, in my opinion, 
to where number three sits, and I've got Jake Fromm here at number three. Do I think Jake Fromm has the ability to step into an NFL team and single-handedly lift them up? No, absolutely not. He's really that classical, and we say it all the time, and it is really cliche. He is a game manager, and that's not really a bad thing, especially when you consider his track record as a starter. The guy's just absolutely won at the college level there at Georgia uh, and, you know, has shown up in some big football games. My only problem is you could honestly make the case whether he goes to the next level, um, you know, excuse me, wherever he goes to the next level, he probably had better weapons uh, back at Georgia, and he definitely had a better offensive line depending on, uh, you know, what spot or what team drafts him uh, at the next level. If he goes really, really high in next year's draft, I can guarantee you right now he's going to step in there, A, be probably pretty overwhelmed, and B, just look around and say, damn, I thought I, I, I genuinely feel like I had better weapons at Georgia uh, and guys at least got, you know, well more open and uh, he had a lot more time to throw the football. So really in a great situation at Georgia. He's played with a lot of talent. But, you know, he's won a lot of football games like we talked about. And, you know, I identifies defenses extremely well. He wins with anticipation, doesn't have a huge arm uh, nor a huge frame. He's about 6'1", about 215, 220 pounds. Um, so we'll just kind of see here uh, with what happens to Jake Fromm. But, again, a flat-out winner, Jake Fromm uh, from, from State Farm. Uh, a winner. We'll, we'll call him that. We'll leave it at that. My number four quarterback on my big board, I'm going to go with Jordan Love, the kid from Utah State. Plays in that high-paced system there, so you don't get a ton of looks at a traditional drop-back game. Similar to Justin Herbert in that sense, we obviously know Oregon likes to run that high-paced offense. So both of these guys, Herbert and Love, you never really get to see them drop back in a traditional sense um, like we do with Tua for sure, and uh, especially Jake Fromm. They run a whole lot of I-formation at Georgia, so his back's turned to the defense quite often. But Jordan Love, not a guy who has to do this. A lot, but he's got a phenomenal touch on the football. I mean, phenomenal. The guy has the best touch pass in this 2020 draft. I can guarantee it. Just flip on the tape. My problem, however, he never drives the ball ever. You'll never see him bear down, get on his front foot, and rip the football. Okay. In fact, he's almost always throwing off his back foot, which isn't really conducive to the NFL football game. So we'll kind of see if he can get those mechanics filtered out this upcoming season with Utah. Again, I don't think we're looking at, you know, a top five arm, but we might be looking at a top five quarterback because of that great touch, the, uh, the ability to, you know, be accurate, uh, hit guys where you want to hit them and all that. You don't see this guy miss a lot of throws, but again, uh, not a whole lot of zip on the football. Everything's got air underneath it. And in the NFL, the ball's got air underneath it. Guess who else can run it down? That's right. The defenders. Let's get into our number five quarterback before we wrap things up for the night. Uh, it's a guy who, you know, we haven't heard a lot of in the last couple of years. That's Jacob Eason, man. Talk about having all the tools and traits in the world. This former five-star quarterback stands at 6'6", 230 so, or so pounds, excuse me. And like Herbert, man, he can flat out spin the football. The only difference, he hasn't played a meaningful down again since he tore his knee up against App State in his first, his first game his sophomore year there at the University of Georgia, you know, started all, I think, 12 of 13 games his true freshman year there at Georgia, had a couple huge come-from-behind wins, one against Missouri in which he threw the ball 55 times, uh, and then another game there against Tennessee. That's the famous, I know Tennessee fans will remember it, and I damn sure know uh, Georgia fans will remember it. Uh, that's that play 
where the Tennessee DB kind of seems like he gave up on a ball, like, no way this dude can throw the ball 65, 70 yards in the air. Well, I'll be damned. Jacob Eason did it, and he dropped it in behind the shoulder of that Tennessee defensive back for a win there uh, just before having to go into overtime. So, again, a couple big wins, come from behind wins there at Georgia. Well, he's now in Washington after getting, you know, losing his job to injury basically there in Georgia to Jake Fromm. Uh, and he's in Washington, and he'll have to kind of wait and see what he looks like now, man. To be honest, I watched their spring game today in Washington, and the announcers pretended like he's still in a quarterback battle, which I find absolutely blasphemous. Uh, Mark Peterson, I don't really know what's going on there. Um, but, you know, maybe it, I don't want to say it's a, uh, you know, a playbook issue because I, I don't believe it is. This guy started as a true freshman, like we talked about here at Georgia, with a, I would assume, a much more complex offensive system there with that pro style it's not a lot of quick reads and whatnot you have to learn the the full route combinations you don't just know you've got slant slant dig uh you know and stuff like that it's it's not how it works in pro style offenses um but we'll kind of see what happens there man he's never been made uh to be a scrambler uh but if you provide a pocket for this guy man my man will sling it i mean absolutely sling it uh again we we talked about Jordan Love not having a top five arm uh, in this draft class. I would say Jacob Beeson has a top five arm in just about any draft class. That's how big the cannon is there. But again, a st- after his you know his knee injury there uh, against App State at Georgia, he's probably going to be pretty statuesque uh, in the pocket. He's probably not going to be you know tending to leave it too much. But again, you give him a pocket, he'll rip the football. We appreciate you guys for listening to us here on the NFL Mox Podcast tonight. Uh, we banged out all those divisional draft grades, man. Hit us up with your thoughts if you liked what I had to say. If you didn't, save it for another day. I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll take those as well. Hit us up on Twitter at Brooks underscore Austin FS. We got some news coming up there on that channel or, excuse me, on that Twitter page relatively soon. Um, and for all you diehard NFL mocks listeners, that big news, when it is announced, do not worry, do not fret. Um, I won't be leaving the mocks. I won't be leaving the podcast because, to be honest with you, man, I got to run my suck. I got to sit here and talk to the air. I got to give opinions uh, just so they're on record. And, you know, to be honest with you, I just like hearing my voice. I just like hearing myself talk. I always have, always will. Mama told me I used to talk myself to sleep at night. So we'll, uh, you know, go to bed after this, man. It's 11.05 here on the East Coast. We appreciate you guys for listening. Like, rate, subscribe, and review wherever you have found it. We'll see you next time uh, and appreciate you guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.